Hey there, it's Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR. Before we get into the next episode, I wanted to ask that you subscribe to the show. It'll help us get even more unique and interesting guests on the podcast and in turn continue to educate management teams and the growing ecosystem that creates value for fast-growing private and public companies. And while you're at it, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. Very much appreciated. Partially driven by the timing of when we were founded, we focused a lot of our attention outside of the the U.S. It's an area that was less mature and where we've had great success. And that's an investment that has paid off over time. Growing a successful business has a lot to do with building relationships on the ground and meeting people where they are. I think what's unique about the approach we've taken is that rather than show up with a product, we showed up by listening first and trying to understand what was needed in in the channel. Being a public company can be hard. Small missteps can have outsized consequences. I'm Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR, and over the last 20 years, we've helped thousands of companies understand and navigate the stock market and the media. We'll demystify these and other increasingly complex stakeholder groups so you can focus on what you do best, building your company, and unlocking your true potential. This is Welcome to the Arena. Private market investments is a giant field, and finding a unique place in the business isn't easy. But when you pay close attention to timing, the needs and wants of your clients, and matching that with a great team, you can make a definitive mark in the industry. Here to talk about how that's done is Scott Hart, CEO of Stepstone Group, a private markets investment firm. Since its founding in 2006, Stepstone's seen steady growth, and that's been fueled by their customized investment solutions and advisory and data services. With 23 offices around the world and 137 billion of assets under management, They just keep growing and growing. Scott joined Stepstone in 2007, and he's held a number of responsibilities across the organization. That includes managing important client relationships, serving as co-head of private equity co-investments, and eventually becoming co-CEO in 2019. In January of 2022, he became the CEO, and he's also a member of the Global Executive Committee, Private Equity Executive Committee, Private Equity Investment Committee, and Private Equity Portfolio and Risk Management Committees. Scott and I talked about the factors around Stepstone's huge growth since he started in 2007 and the flywheel effect that's helped get it there. We also took a dive into how diversification helped them carve out a niche built around custom products for a global client base. Let's enter the arena with Scott Hart. I'll start with Stepstone's mission which is really to be the trusted partner of choice for private market solutions globally. But what do we mean when we talk about being a solutions provider? Essentially, what we mean is that we partner with asset owners. So think about pension funds, sovereign wealth funds, endowments and foundations, insurance companies, and increasingly individual investors, and help them build portfolios that are really specifically designed to meet their needs. How do we do that? We really invest through a combination of primary funds, So these are really commitments that we make to third-party managers who will go out and really be on the front lines identifying the companies and the assets to invest in. 
Uh, we do that through our secondaries business where we're buying out existing interests, either in companies or, or portfolios of companies. And we do that through our co-investment business where we're investing directly into companies or assets alongside of our, our partners. And, and we've really always had the view that investing in these three strategies together not only creates incredible synergies across the platform, but also has important portfolio construction benefits. And then finally, I think the last part of, of being a, a solutions provider is really about being able and being willing to work with our clients in whatever way works best for them. And for us, that might be through an advisory relationship, that might be by managing a separately managed account on their behalf or through our commingled funds. I think being a solutions provider, it's also a mentality. For us, that means listening first, uh, oftentimes before we speak. It means building a, a comprehensive toolbox so that we can address a, really a wide range of challenges that our clients might face. Uh, it involves a high level of customer service, really working with our clients uh, day in and day out in a very close and partnership-driven way. And it means being very transparent. I'll give you an example. Some of the tools that we've developed in-house here at StepStone, including the data and technology platform that we've built, we make those same tools that we utilize internally available to our clients, again, in a very, in a very transparent way. We've grown since our founding in, in 2007, really to be one of the most active investors across the private markets, you know, really allocating over $50 billion into the private markets on an annual basis. It's a super interesting and niche business in a way, even though the private markets are really huge. I was a you know a sell side analyst. Uh, I left the dark side 20 years ago, but I always loved the business with long term secular tailwinds behind it. Maybe you can touch on kind of those secular tailwinds and why they're so important for investors and other stakeholders to pay attention to. I think one of the things that provided us with a bit of an advantage was the timing of when we came together to launch the firm back in 2007. I think some of the things that we started to observe were that one, the private markets were growing in size and the LPs or the asset owners participating in the private markets were growing in terms of sophistication. And that's really what led us to this customized solutions approach. The second observation we would have made at the time was that the private markets were becoming increasingly global, uh, not only in terms of where uh, some of those asset owners were located, but two, where investments were being made. And we pretty quickly came to the view that in order to better service our clients and in order to better invest around the world, we ourselves needed to, to, to build a global firm, which we've, we've done over the last 15 years. And three was all about data and, and technology. I think unlike the public markets where there's a tremendous amount of, of data and information available really to anyone who wants it, in, in the private markets, that data tends to be available to those who are active participants in the market. And you heard me say that we've become one of the most active participants over, over time and importantly uh, made the decision early on to invest in the technology that would allow us to capture and analyze that, that data that we had at our fingertips. If I think about how the business has evolved since then, back in 2007 when we got our start, it was probably a $2 trillion uh, market in terms of AUM. Today, the market's over $10 trillion. Uh, so it's grown pretty dramatically over time. Part of that is because those investors who are participating in the private markets and really benefited from the strong uh, returns and the outperformance have pretty dramatically increased their allocations to the asset classes. Two, that performance has attracted new entrants into the market. And whether that is some of the investors I was talking about, you know, largely based outside of the U.S., whether it's entirely new categories of investors like insurance companies or increasingly individual investors, that has really helped drive the growth in, in the business. 
Maybe you could go deeper on your positioning within the GP and LP ecosystem. It seems like you're kind of in a real sweet spot and that's within that secular trend you're talking about. Yeah. So I think if you think about where it is that we sit in the private markets ecosystem, it is between our clients, the LPs that are allocating capital into the private markets on an annual basis and the general partners or managers that are out there uh, sourcing and, and making new investments year in and year out. And now we sit in, in between them not to provide a barrier between them, but really to help facilitate the allocation of commitments from our clients into the asset class. And so I think it's an important place to sit for a few reasons. I think one, if you think about the LPs in the market, increasingly they are located in a single market location. They tend to have you know, relatively small teams, sometimes that are limited in the terms of their ability to travel and cover what is increasingly becoming a global market. Yet with those somewhat limited resources, they're being asked to cover an increasingly complex private markets landscape. And so many times those clients come to the conclusion that working with a platform like StepStone with 23 offices around the world, an 800 person plus team is a more efficient way to tackle the private markets. I think the other thing that our position in the market does is it creates a, a powerful flywheel effect that we often talk about. And, and what we mean by that is really as we've grown in size, our ability to continue to grow and the momentum that we build has really picked up over time. As we add more clients over time, that allows us to allocate more capital into the private markets. That means we now have an increasing number of GP relationships. It also means we've become more important to those GPs. And as we increase our position there, it allows us to source more investment opportunities. It gives us access to additional data that we didn't have previously. And if we can use that deal flow and if we can use that information advantage to make better investment decisions, it allows us to generate better returns. And those better returns helped us attract additional clients and really keep that flywheel spinning. So again, we think it's an increasingly critical part of the market where we sit, but also becomes an even more powerful platform over time. Scott, from an investor standpoint, what do you see as the key strengths of the business model? I always find that the more areas that you're in and the more diversified you are, the more protected the business is from, you know, different cycles. There's really you know, three things that I would highlight. One, our exclusive focus on the private markets, which have been a, a great place to be uh, historically and that we think will continue to be a great place to be. Two is our diversification, uh, exactly as you touched on. And I think it's diversification across a variety of different metrics. It's diversification by asset class and diversification across geographies. And, you know, partially driven by the timing of when we were founded, we focused a lot of our attention outside of the, the U.S. It's an area that uh, was less mature when we were founded and where we've had great success. And that's an investment that has paid off over time. Today, about 70 percent of our management advisory fees come from clients that are based outside of the U.S., uh, making it a, a truly uh, global business. The third point was really about visibility. We've got a tremendous amount of visibility into the future growth of our business, driven by a few things. Uh, one, we have $17 billion of what we call undeployed fear-earning capital. And this is essentially capital that has been raised from our clients, but will pay on invested capital as we deploy that capital into the markets. But that visibility extends beyond just the, the dry powder that we have today. We've got very long-term, sticky client relationships. You know, today, over 80% of our remaining management fees have a, a remaining account tenor of over seven years. 
And we've got a retention rate and a re-up rate across our separately managed accounts of, of over 90%. And when those clients re-up, they tend to increase in size with us. On average, have, have grown uh, their account size by, by over 30% from one fund uh, to the next. You touched on uh, fundraising, and uh, I know it's a big part of driving the business forward. Can you talk about like how you're organized there? And I know you've had uh, recent uh, success in, in fundraising despite the environment. I think from a fundraising standpoint, one of the approaches that we've taken from the early days is to really have a global and local approach. And so when we think about the 23 offices that StepStone has around the world, oftentimes those offices are staffed with local professionals that are on the ground, that speak the language, that have uh, built-in networks in their in their markets. And uh, look, I'm not sure that was always the plan from the very early days at StepStone. We certainly had a vision of building a global organization. But I think there were a, a few key learnings along the way that really gave us the conviction to continue to build out this, this global platform. And part of that was you know, certain clients that we were working with on a fly-in, fly-out basis where we thought we were making real progress over time. Uh, but it wasn't until we put local teams on the ground in those markets that we really started to see things take off. And that happened in a few key geographies in the Asian market, but really gave us the, the confidence and the conviction to build out this global business development team that's working around the world to develop these key client relationships. You know, in the private markets, you know, successfully selling to institutions for decades and particularly with the market in the last three years, you see the power of, of individuals. Maybe go a little deeper and describe your process with Conversus and, and kind of what makes the offering unique uh, for the retail investor. We've been focused on the retail investor for some time. Now, we started out really by offering some of our institutional closed-end funds to individual investors. I think the, de the development that has taken place more recently is really designing products specifically geared towards the retail and high net worth investor. I think what's unique about the approach we've taken there is that we have applied the same solutions-oriented approach to the retail market that we've historically applied to the institutional market. So again, rather than show up with uh, a product, we showed up by listening first and trying to understand what was needed in in the channel. And what fed back to us over time was that they needed products that were available down to the accredited investor level, that you needed products that had instant diversification because this might be the only ticket in one's portfolio focused on the private markets. And so as we took all of that feedback, what we came up with was C-Prime, a single ticket solution to the private markets. It's a multi-asset class multi-strategy approach available down to the accredited investor level. And we're off to a great start. We've just recently surpassed $650 million of NAV in that product and have generated fantastic returns since the launch. When and how to expand are crucial choices in a company's trajectory. In 2021, StepStone acquired Greenspring Associates, one of the leading investors in venture capital. I asked Scott what that acquisition has done for StepStone's capabilities in venture and growth equity. One of the things that we started to see happen was our clients asking us, StepStone, how can you help us build a leading world-class global venture and growth portfolio? And certainly by joining forces with the Greenspring team, it's improved our ability to provide this solution to our clients, really covering the entire life cycle of the innovation economy from early stage venture capital through to late stage and growth equity and really everything in between. 
Secondly, the flywheel effects have been enhanced. With Greenspring, uh, we have an even larger number of GP relationships. We are now even more important to those GPs, and we're, we're already seeing firsthand the benefits in terms of increased deal flow, as well as in increased information and, and due diligence insights. The team here at StepStone focused on venture and growth had been fantastic over time, but was undersized relative to the opportunity. Joining forces with the Greenspring team means that we now have an over 70-person dedicated venture and growth uh, investment team and have really created what we think is one of the leading platforms in the venture and growth space in terms of what we do. With a fast-growing company like StepStone, obviously getting the right people is everything. How have you established kind of an entrepreneurial and equity-oriented culture at StepStone, which is so important to success? I think the entrepreneurial focus and the equity culture, I think, are, are certainly related. And it started at the very beginning. It's certainly not something that I can necessarily take credit for. I give a lot of credit to our, our co-founders, Monty Brem and Tom Keck and Jose Fernandez. We often tell the story about early on when we would interview a new candidate. They come in the door and we get to the end of the interview and we'd ask them, well, look, why, why is it that you want to join StepStone? And we'd actually have to stop and say, no, 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 really, why do you want to join StepStone? I mean, we have, we have no money. We have very few clients. We're just getting started. You know, what is it that attracted you to this opportunity? And almost without exception, what they pointed to was our website. And I've actually, I've gone back a number of times now since then and, and reread the text from that, that website. And what it described was the culture that we were looking to build, which really emphasized collegiality and openness and professional development. It emphasized our corporate values of integrity, fairness, and respect for all employees. But it also went on to talk about emphasizing specialization so that the senior professionals around the firm could be entrepreneurial and could build their practice areas as if it were their own business. And so there's a few things that I think that did. I think one, it sort of inspired people that were coming to, to work here at StepStone. And two, I think it helped attract people who wanted to operate in this type of environment and who were willing to make a bet on, the, on themselves and know that we were trying to build a performance-driven environment and one in which they would have the opportunity to participate in the success that they were helping to drive. But I think then the real question becomes, how have we maintained that entrepreneurial equity-driven culture, you know, 15 years in here. And I think we've done that by continuing to reinforce the message over time. I think we've done it through things like our IPO uh, now about two years ago, where we really use that as an opportunity to broaden the equity ownership. We, we put in place a Founders Award that made all 500 plus employees that were with us at the time equity owners in StepStone. And you've also seen it as we've built out dedicated teams across the asset classes, either through acquisition or by lifting out teams and, and bringing them in-house here at StepStone and identifying individuals who believe that what they could build here at StepStone was even greater than what they could build on their own and putting in place a compensation mechanism that allowed them to continue to participate in their, in their own success. Yeah. I mean, that's another flywheel in and of itself. You know, the more great people you have, the better you do, the more great people you can attract and hire. And that's the key to everything in this business. Um, Scott, how did you go about expanding the business internationally? And how do you manage a business that's kind of like 24-7, 365? You must be tired. <laughs> that's, uh, it's a good question. I mean, look, I, I mentioned earlier, we always had a vision for building a, a global firm. And I think in some cases we had some, some good luck along the way. I think in other cases, there were certain developments that really gave us the conviction that we were on the right path. I think the good luck came in the, in the form of 
some of our earliest clients being international clients that were based in Australia and Asia and the Middle East. And although in the early years, that meant a lot of time on, on airplanes, clearly the plan was to, to build out a, a global network over time. If I rewind back to 2010 and 11, the way we did that was by moving existing members of our team from the U.S. to these markets to make sure that we were bringing with us the culture the process, the familiarity with what we were trying to build here at, at StepStone. And so that meant that you know, Monty Bram, our, one of our co-founders and CEO at the time, you know, moved to Beijing to open up our office there. I relocated to London in 2011, and we were on our way. Once we put local teams on the ground in those markets, we saw a pretty rapid expansion in those relationships as we were now able to speak the same language. We were available to work with them on the ground in their own time zone. And the level of transparency and openness with those clients, you know, increased pretty dramatically. So that was certainly a part of the global expansion. I think the key when it comes to managing this global platform, twofold. You know, one, it certainly helps to have at some point in time been based in one of our uh, in one of our foreign offices and understand the challenges that are created by you know, time zones and making sure that we're not solely focused on being a U.S.-based firm. And so one of the phrases that you'll hear around StepStone at the start of almost every call is, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone, because we recognize we're not all operating from uh, the same location. But two, it's about having strong leaders in each of those offices. And, and, and the other thing you'll hear us talk about quite frequently at StepStone is our team of teams approach and really trying to marry the benefit of having small, nimble teams but operating within a larger global platform. And I think having strong leadership in, in each of these offices around the world has been key to being able to manage it. You know, since the start of the year 2022, the public markets obviously have had a drawdown after a decade bull market. How's that kind of filtered through to the private markets? And what does history tell you about the resiliency of the private markets in times like these? The initial impact that we tend to see is a bit of a slowdown in investment activity, right? Because as the public markets decline, uh, you know, those that have dry powder are now looking for a bargain. They're, they're looking to make investments that reflect the new valuation environment that we operate in. Uh, but oftentimes, the owners or the sellers of those assets are holding out for yesterday's prices, right? And so you end up with a bid-ask spread that exists. You're certainly ending up with a, a financing market that is, that is both more difficult and more expensive. And so you see a slight slowdown in deal activity. And, and we're seeing that uh, today. Second is the flow through of valuations to the existing portfolios. What we learn is that that tends to take time and that typically we do not see as dramatic of a drawdown in the private markets as what we see in, in the public markets. It's certainly a topic that we spent quite a bit of time looking back at during the early days of COVID. And what we found is that you know, typically the private markets will capture about 60% of the drawdown that the public markets experience. But the result of that is that you do start to have the denominator effect take hold, right? So if you're an institutional investor and your public market portfolio has declined significantly, your private market's portfolio has held up slightly better and is being marked in a lag, well, now you're, you, you may look like you're over-allocated to, to the asset class. And so that may put some pressure on your ability to make new, uh, new commitments. And look, I think you see LPs react in a few different ways. First of all, I think most, particularly the most experienced, understand that these types of dislocations and market corrections can actually present pretty interesting opportunities. And so what we have found is that as we're speaking with LPs and clients about the denominator effect, oftentimes the next words out of their mouth are, 
But we remember what happened after the financial crisis when we pulled back and we missed out on some great opportunities. We're not going to let that happen again. And so what you're seeing investors do is in some cases, you may see them tap the secondaries market to sell a portion of their portfolio and free up some allocation. You may see certain investors actually increase their target to the asset class to give themselves some flexibility to continue to invest. Or I think the most common approach is simply to slow down, but certainly not exit the market entirely. But as, as time goes on, eventually we start to see things balance out. I think the expectations between buyers and sellers start to come back in line. And that's really when you start to see some of the more interesting investment opportunities that reflect not only reduced valuations, but have the, the potential to grow off of a lower base from an earnings standpoint. It really seems like you've got a, a global platform here, you know, that by all indications has the ability to to grow and scale over a long period of time. Can you talk about the long-term outlook for organic growth in the runway for the business? I think you can take it from a top-down perspective and really think about the growth in, in the marketplace. The private markets in general have grown you know, sort of mid-teens type rates. But if you look at where the greater amounts of growth are coming from, there are certain asset classes like infrastructure and private debt that have tended to outperform. And there are certain geographies that we think continue to be well-suited for, for continued growth. And we would largely point to geographies outside of, of the U.S. where you're still seeing large pools of capital allocating to the private markets for the first time. And so when we think about our exposure to uh, some of those non-private equity asset classes, as well as the international market, you know, we think we continue to be well-positioned to grow at above market rates. I think if you think about it from a bottoms-up standpoint, I'd really start with the visibility into earnings that I described earlier. Right? When we think about uh, deploying the $17 billion of undeployed fear and capital that we have access to today, when we think about the strong re-up rates that we have. And if we continue to have re-ups of, of 90%, but 30% plus growth in the size of those accounts, well, there's some great built-in organic growth, even just amongst our existing clients or the existing capital that we, that we manage today before even accounting for identifying and working with new investors. And if you layer on top of that, the opportunity in the retail and high net worth market, we think there's a pretty strong growth algorithm for continued, uh, again, above market growth, similar to what we've experienced heretofore. There's something exciting about being propelled by your own momentum. A lot of companies talk about building the flywheel effect, but StepStone is really experiencing it. And to make that happen, they've expertly leveraged market and team opportunities from day one. At Welcome to the Arena, we're working really hard to bring you exciting guests and great content. If you found this episode insightful, subscribe to the show on your podcast app and leave us a five-star rating. The more the show grows, the more interesting voices we can have on the podcast. And in turn, that should demystify a lot of the stakeholders around public companies and soon-to-be public companies. Thanks for listening. Thanks again to Scott Hart for joining me on the show today. Scott's depth of knowledge, his precise instincts, and his understanding of the importance of strong relationships in a global market make it clear why StepStone has become such a force in the business. And their momentum means they won't be slowing down anytime soon. This is Tom Ryan. We'll see you next time back in the arena.
References to specific stocks are not intended to be recommendations for specific trading behavior. Comments presented on this podcast are intended for informational and educational purposes only, and do not represent opinions or recommendations on whether to buy, sell, or hold shares of a particular stock. All investors are advised to conduct their own independent research into individual stocks before making a trading decision. In addition, investors are advised that past stock performance is no guarantee of future price performance.